Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all are looking so good today. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for joining us on our live stream. Hey, come see us in person sometime. We'd love to have you. Hey, have you guys learned this yet in life? Opposition is inevitable. And it comes in all kinds of forms. Um, so last week I turned 60 and I made a decision. I will not go quietly into old age. I'm going to fight against it. So Chloe, my daughter, um, a few months ago, she got one of these uh, Peloton bikes. I'm in. She said, well, dad, you got to get these shoes because these shoes clip in. All right, I get it. So this past Monday I started, got up. I always get up early in the morning, got up, went straight to the bike. Now, she said, Dad, before you ride, let me talk you through it. I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, how hard could it be? You pedal. <laughs> so I get in. Now, if you don't know what a Peloton bike is, you got this big screen in front of you that connects to the internet. And so you get to pick who you want to be your cycling instructor and uh, what kind of music you want to listen to. Um, so I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Oh, there we go. Greatest hits of the 80s. Boom. That's me. So the instructor comes on and says, hey, welcome to Peloton. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've done this lots of times. You know, we just want you to know it doesn't matter if this is your first time or not. It doesn't matter how old you are. This is for you. And I thought, all right, that's what I wanted to hear. So this Billy Joel song comes on and the lady says, "Um, don't think you're too old for this. Did you know Billy Joel was 40 when he wrote this song and I'm like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh this could be bad so I take take off take off I'm pedaling I'm pedaling I'm pedaling I'm pedaling you know after about five minutes I just thought I'm going to die (laughs) I will not survive this but I just keep going to the 30 minute class I just keep on keep on keep on keep on keep on finally I'm by the time I got finished my legs were like noodles man I'm like, what in the world? So I go to get off. I can't get off. So where you clip those shoes in, this is what Chloe was talking about. So I thought, well, I got to go. So I'm just going to take the shoes off. But my legs are like noodles. So every time I'd bend that far over, I'd get a cramp. So I'd be like, oh, finally, I get out of the shoes. I get off the bike. My shoes are still on the bike. So I, there's got to be, so I thought, I'm just going to twist. So I crank on it and it went pop and came off. I thought, that didn't sound right. I mean, it sounded like I'm fixing to break Chloe's bike. Anyway, I took them off that way. She showed me how to do it the next day. So I get the next day, I get on there. I mean, I... That first day was horrible, but I thought, I am not giving up. I am not going quietly into old age. So I get back on that bike, and I'm here to tell you, it felt like a porcupine had crawled up in my hind parts, and I sat on it. (laughs) Never in my life have I felt anything like that. What in the world? Now, I'm supposed to pedal. All right, I'm doing it, man. So I take off again. I'm pedaling, I'm pedaling, I'm pedaling, I'm pedaling. I I I go downstairs. Now, the whole time, I got my AirPods in, uh, earbuds in, so I'm, you know, nobody can hear. So I go downstairs, 
And Jenny says, who were you talking to? <laughs> what do you mean? I wasn't talking to anybody. I was on the bike. Having... She said, oh, no, you were talking. <laughs> what I say? She said, well, the first thing I heard was, what? You got to be kidding me. I mean, if I did say that. She said, then about every 30 seconds, there'd be a choose. <laughs> then, then, then she said, who do you think you are? I said, I guess I was talking to the instructor. <laughs> and then she said, there was lots of loud breathing. It's hard. <laughs> opposition in life is inevitable. Now, apparently, I'm in opposition with a Peloton instructor I've never met. And my body is in opposition to me. But I'm going to keep on pedaling. You know what I mean? You got to keep pedaling. Opposition in life is inevitable. It comes in all kinds of forms. Nobody likes opposition. I mean, if you like opposition, that's a problem. I think they have medicine for that now. You need to try some. Nobody likes opposition. But because opposition is inevitable in life, as believers, we need to know how to respond to opposition in a way that honors God, right? Yeah. A few weeks ago in our uh, study of the book of Acts, um, the apostle Paul went to Jerusalem. Remember, God told him, you're going to go to Jerusalem, uh, and you're going to go to Rome, ultimately, and in these cities you go to, you're going to be imprisoned, and ultimately, you're going to be killed. Wow. Wow. But Paul faithfully obeyed the Lord God. Now Paul is in Jerusalem, and he's facing opposition. So he gets to Jerusalem, and here's what happens. Um, first day, hangs out with the apostles some. Then they say, uh, you know, there's some people, there's some of the Jewish believers who... They think you've kind of given up on all of our traditions, and you know we know you haven't, but they think, so we got this thing going on tomorrow, these ceremonies, maybe you ought to go to that. So he goes, and while he's there, one of the Jews says, that's him, that's the guy. He, he, he thinks our traditions are terrible, and he's telling people not to do them. Gets so bad, this big uproar, that... Just next to the temple court where all this was happening, um, there was a Roman garrison, and uh, they were there to kind of keep order in the city of Jerusalem, and they hear this big ruckus going on, so the soldiers go over, and they're like, what's going on? And they, they had to carry Paul out of there. And, and just before they get out, Paul says, well, let me talk to him, let me talk to him. Uh, I think I, so Paul addresses the whole crowd, these people are trying to kill him. Then they just wanted to kill him worse. So here's kind of where we left off. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. So Paul had all this opposition when he went to the city. He's got opposition trying to get out of the city for crying out loud. Now, here we are. The commander calls for the high priest and the Jewish high council and to come and try Paul. So he's just trying to figure out what in the world's going on. So here are some more things 
to remember. So just a few weeks ago, we talked about how to handle conflict because Paul always had so much conflict. So here's some more things to remember when you're facing opposition. Here's the first one. Write this down. Humbly obey the scripture. Acts 23, verse 1. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Ananias just goes Will Smith on him. I mean, man, slap that guy on the mouth. (laughs) But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. Whoa, he's no Chris Rock. You know what I'm talking about? He's getting back at it. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? So um, it was against Jewish law uh, to punish someone without a hearing. There was a presumption of innocence. Um, Now, this high priest, I mean, he kind of had a reputation of being a real poor character. Josephus, this uh, Jewish historian, described Ananias as an insolent hot-tempered, profane, greedy man. So there's this. Slap him on his mouth. God will slap you on your mouth, you hypocrite. But now things take a real turn. Look at verse 4. Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scripture says you must not speak evil on, uh, of any of your rulers. Paul didn't recognize Ananias the high priest. That, that, that whole office kind of turned over a lot. And, and they weren't at the temple court. They were uh, there near the garrison of the Romans. And uh, so he didn't have him on his high priestly garb and you know, all that stuff. So Paul didn't recognize uh, he was the high priest. Um, but now Paul is in a pickle. Because he just accused the high priest of being a hypocrite. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're breaking God's law while you're telling me not to break God's law. But now, Paul does the same thing. But Paul's response is very different. As soon as uh, it was brought to Paul's attention that he had violated Exodus twenty two twenty eight. Even unknowingly, he humbles himself and repents. Now, there's a real lesson for us here. Huge lesson. The way we respond to opposition reveals the true authority of our lives. So we've got to ask ourselves, do we really live under the authority of Scripture, or is it just talk? Let me remind you what Jesus said. You have heard that the law, the, the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. You see, we can fall into this thing where it's like, eh, you know, I know what the Bible says, but look, under these circumstances, surely God wouldn't expect me to do that. I mean, 
if you knew what my circumstances were, you wouldn't say I should do that. You see, when this is our response, we're just revealing the true authority of our life. Be careful not to fall into this trap. I live under the authority of Scripture until it conflicts with my own desires and my own sense of justice. Then Scripture must be taken back, take a back seat to my own authority. You see, when we retaliate, we prove our critics right and we miss an opportunity for our lives to reflect the gospel. Let me ask you a question. When there's opposition, why don't we? When, when, when we're facing opposition, it doesn't matter what it could be with a spouse, it could be uh, at work, it could be all kinds of life circumstances. When there's opposition, why don't we, why don't we think this? What a great opportunity for my life to reflect the gospel and act like a child of God. Why don't we think that way? Answer? Our flesh is powerful and is constantly trying to convince us our own discernment and desires must trump the authority of Scripture. Here's another thing we learn from opposition. Write this down. Wisdom is a powerful weapon. And what Paul does now is brilliant. Uh, verse 6. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So they dressed a little bit differently. So Paul, Paul would be able to look at them and say, oh, there's a bunch of Pharisees. Oh, there's a bunch of Sadducees. Because he was very familiar with all that. He grew up in it. He lived it most of his adult life. So Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. Now, Sadducees were kind of focused on the physical world. Uh, they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. Um, they didn't even believe in the resurrection from the dead. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> so I've said that about 500 times. And every time y'all laugh, man. Y'all got to stop because it encourages me to keep saying it. I need to stop. I can't help myself. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee and as were my ancestors. And I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Paul's hope was absolutely all about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Verse 7. This divided the council. Uh, the Pharisees against the Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, uh, but the Pharisees believe in all these things. So there was a great uproar. I mean, you could imagine uh, two groups of people where there's kind of constant tension, and Paul just struck a match and just threw it in there, and it just, it'd be like me saying, just, um, UNC Tar Heels are the best basketball team ever exists, always will. Nobody will ever be like them. Get over it. And then I just stop and shut up for about, I don't know, two minutes, and then just watch. It'd take like five minutes for y'all to be at each other's throats, man. Right? Y'all taking that way too serious because you know it's true. I'm hitting home here, right? 
Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. That's just a little sarcasm because this guy, don't, they don't believe in this. You know, an angel spoke to him. Verse 10. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. So Paul was a very wise man. He, looked, he just ended this whole trial by getting the opposition to turn on each other. Um, you, you know, sometimes people assume wrongly that if you're going to live under the authority of the Scripture, you're just a doormat. That's just not true. Let me remind you what Jesus said. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So we want to be innocent in the way we respond to all kinds of opposition. We want to act like children of God. We want to reflect our Father in heaven with our behavior. But it doesn't mean we just become doormats. We're supposed to be wise as servants. That is exactly what Paul did here. You see, God's wisdom is more powerful than human intellect overcomes human opposition, and deflects human anger. That's what the wisdom of God does. Look, more times than I can count in my life, I've been in opposition with somebody, and you know what that means. You, you, you've been there where there's this tension, and you know there's tension, and it starts to escalate, and you know what you say next is going to determine whether it or whether it, right? And everything in you, your flesh is saying, get them. That's what the flesh does. So many times in my life, I've been right there. And more times than I can count, God just brings Proverbs 15:1 to my mind. A soft answer turns away anger, but harsh words stir it up. And I, okay, Lord. And you know, more times than not, whoever the, the tension is with, they go, I know, man, I, I'm sorry. I, I need to calm down. That's the wisdom of God. Now, I'd like to tell you I did that every time, because sometimes I just go with, you are an absolute moron. <laughs> but that usually doesn't turn out well. I can tell you this, that every time I went with the wisdom of God, there was a far superior outcome. Here's another thing we learned from opposition. Let the faithfulness of God encourage you. Look at verse 11 in Acts 23. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, just as I have been a witness just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Yeah, I'm sure Paul was just thinking, how in the world am I going to get out of this, man? You ever been there? I mean, just, what's going to happen? And God just shows up 
and encourages him. Paul, I got a plan. You can trust me. Don't worry. And you, maybe you're thinking right now, that'd be great if God did that for me. He will. God's done that to me more times than I can count in my life. In those moments of fear, when the opposition is stern and relentless, God shows up and just gives you peace, encourages you. You can trust me. You're not alone. I'm not going to leave you. Hmm. Ever been there? Horrible circumstances? Not knowing what the end will be? Worried? Afraid? Then the Lord shows up and says, Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I have a plan. You can trust me. It's a big deal. I promise you. I promise you, if you look, you will find the faithfulness of God at work in the worst of circumstances. I I love this verse. Um, This is in the book of Lamentations. You know, there's a whole book in the Bible about lamenting. Lamentations. Lamentations 3, 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Powerful words. Mm. Nothing, nothing encourages us like the faithfulness of God. Now listen to me, this is a big deal. The way we get encouraged by the faithfulness of God is living under the authority of the scripture. You you see, when we give into the power of our own flesh, we become our own authority and the And the power of our own flesh causes us to forget the faithfulness of God. Then we forfeit the encouragement God wants to give us and we miss the blessing of experiencing his faithfulness. In those moments, in those moments, circumstances are hard. Opposition is heavy, worried, afraid. In those moments, this is so important to remember. God works in his time, and his work is always on time. God works in his time, and his work is always on time. I'll tell you something I've learned in my life. God almost always works more slowly than I do. It's true. Here's a verse that has encouraged me so many times in my life. I hope it will encourage you. Psalm 27, verse 13. I would have lost hope, I would have lost heart, unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Have you ever, you ever done that? 
God, I know I'm going to heaven. God, I know heaven's perfect and heaven is good. But God, I just need to know you're real right here, right now. God, I need to see your hand at work in my life right now. That's how David felt. I would have lost hope unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Look what he says next, though. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. So he says, man, I would have lost heart if I hadn't believed that I'd see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. Man, that was my hope. That was what I needed. And I saw it, but I had to wait. Because God almost always works more slowly than we do. Because in those times of waiting is when God teaches us. So when we think about waiting, we think about something very different. Right? I mean, when we think about waiting, we think of a waste of time. We think about a line. You go to a restaurant and the line is spilling out the front doors. What do you do? What do you do? You go somewhere else. Why? You ain't going to wait in that line. So when the Bible says wait, it means something very different than the way we think about waiting. It's, um, it's the Hebrew word kawa. And it means to twist. So the idea is I'm not just wasting time waiting on a line. No, I'm in this preparation time. I am in a time where I am all twisted up with God. And I am in his word. And he is speaking to me. And I am listening to him. I mean, and I am on my knees. And I'm in the book. And I am waiting. And I am all twisted up with God And then at the right time, when I get to the right place with God, God says, now. You you see, it's very different thinking, I'm doing nothing. I'm just wasting my time and thinking, no, I'm getting all twisted up with God, waiting for his perfect time because he's always on time. That's a big deal. Here's another thing we learned from opposition. Our real enemy is ruthless and strategic. Look at verse 12. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. Now, obviously, they didn't really think that through. I mean, we're not going to eat or drink until he's dead. But what if he, um, I mean, they didn't really think that. Verse 14. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We'll kill him on the way. So let me remind you. We have an unseen enemy who is real powerful and who hates you. Our unseen enemy, his lies are convincing. His plans are strategic. And he only has one goal. Kill, steal, destroy. Hmm. I love the way the Bible just reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 6. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies. He's strategic, all the strategies of the devil. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So these guys, I mean, these 40 guys, we're taking this oath. We're going to kill Paul. We're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. They didn't come up with that by themselves. That's Satan's strategy. You see, Satan is always at work, and it's so easy to forget. We have an enemy who is unseen, who is powerful, and who is ruthless and strategic. You know what he does? He strategically brings opposition to us. But the opposition isn't his goal. His goal is to use the opposition to get us to act like his child instead of a child of God. But when we remember the faithfulness of God, we put on his armor. We see the enemy's strategy and we avoid Satan's traps. For years, every time Jenny and I get ready to go somewhere, we were always in an argument. I mean... We couldn't even get out of the house before we were in an argument. Because I'd be saying, come on, we got to go. Come on, we got to go. And Jenny would be, well, I got to check this and check that. Because she's going to make sure we got everything. She's going to make sure we do everything right. And, I, and I'm like, come on, we got to go. Are you kidding me? Man? What can I do to help? You can go sit in the car. So I'd go sit in the car. And Now, do you think when I was sitting in the car, I would take that time to pray? <laughs> no, I'm in there fuming, man. I'm watching every second. What in the world is she doing? So, we get, so by the time we leave, we're already mad. It takes a whole day to get over it. We barely speak on, well, on the way to wherever we're going. But finally, I learned. God has given us this opportunity to go off together somewhere as a blessing. You think the enemy likes that? No. So what does he do? I'm going to get them all jacked up before they can even leave. He knows how to tempt He knows how to tempt her. Jenny was thinking the same thing. Everything he does irritates me. But I learned. I learned this. I'm not going to let Satan deprive me of God's blessing with my wife. Come here, babe. I know we're getting ready to pack. Let's pray. I'm serious. You know what that's called? Spiritual warfare. God, you've given us this opportunity. God, we want to we just enjoy your blessings. We know our enemy's going to attack us right now. Would you just help us focus on what we need to, and help us not to just get all jacked up about these things that don't even matter. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Think that changed the trip? Huh, you kidding yeah, I've learned over the years what's really going on. And I am absolutely determined. I will not let my enemy rob me of God's blessing. You see, Satan's attacks are rarely obvious, but they're always effective if we don't recognize them. Hmm. He is strategic. Look for it. Last thing, uh, 
We can learn this from opposition. Look for God's hand of deliverance. Verse 16. Paul's nephew, his sister's son, it's the first and only time we hear about this nephew. We don't even know his name. Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. I mean, that, that's not just coincidence. That's God's plan of deliverance. Verse 17. Paul called for one of the Romans officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. Verse 19. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, what is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There's more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Verse 22. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Later in Jerusalem, 40 men died of dehydration and starvation. No, that's not in there. I'm kidding. Man. That's kind of make you wonder what happened to him, right? I mean, they didn't kill him. So, I mean, what? Anyway. Do you guys know this? God is in the deliverance business. Often he does it in unexpected ways. Like an unnamed nephew. I, I love this verse in the Bible. Look, look at this. 2 Timothy 4. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Mm. Question. What opposition are you facing right now? What do you need to be delivered from? So I want to close with a verse that has strengthened me so many times in my life when I've faced opposition, whether it's in my marriage or with a friend or in ministry or whatever it is. Jeremiah 119. They will fight against you, but they will not Prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of your word that encourages us. Thank you for our faith that delivers us. Thank you that your hand, God, is always with us. You always have a plan, and we can always trust you. God, I pray right now. Lord, there are people sitting here right now. And they're facing some stern opposition. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's another relationship. Maybe it's at work. And they feel defeated. And they feel discouraged. God, could you just remind them right now. You are in the deliverance business. And they'll fight against them. 
but they're not going to prevail against The enemy will not win when we seek you. He will not prevail against us because you are with us, Lord, to deliver us. Thank you for the promise of deliverance. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship Jesus.